got a habit of stashing things in this sling. Thought I'd try to clip the, the microphone to it. It didn't work. I'm glad you're here. We have a very long prayer list, and I feel pretty guilty about being on it. Actually, I feel a little surprised when my name gets called out um, because I feel like they, uh, they fixed the damage, and I'm, I'm not in pain. I just have to keep this thing immobilized, and um, I'm really just wearing it for sympathy. No, that's not true. I have to wear it for a couple more weeks, but I just need to, to be careful that I don't mess it up, and I tend to use my hands quite a bit. In fact, I, apparently I, I talk with my hands some, so you guys are in for a treat because this is apparently a speech impediment. But as Brother Monty mentioned, we're going to do the first half of John 8. Um, it's another one of those fairly long chapters, and um, it's not really a, a, a super clean spot to break this. There's a little bit of overlap, I think, when it carries on, and, and so uh, just kind of keep that in mind as, as we go through the rest of the study next week. Um, but there's some interesting things that, that um, occurred, and I, uh, I think we'll get quite a bit out of this, as we always do when we look into the Word. So I do have all the scriptures up on the board tonight. We're going to do 1 through 30. I've got a few that I'll cite that are not on the board if you want to follow along, but I'll read those out as I, as I use them. <clears throat> uh, so starting out here, John 8 verse 1 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now I want to do a little quick pause here because starting the chapter with, But Jesus went to the Mount, sounds like we're not starting at the start of an event. So just a very quick recap. There's a transition from one thing to the next at the end of, of chapter 7 and the start of chapter 8. It just doesn't look very clean right there. There's people talking about Jesus, some saying that he must be the Christ, and officers came to the, the chief priests and, and the Pharisees and demanded to know why they haven't taken him in, and there was this disagreement among them. And, and some of them, like Nicodemus, um, they would defend him but the majority would immediately mock him for it. Um, and at the end of that debate session, it says everyone went home. And that's where we leave off, and everyone went home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. <clears throat> then the next morning, he was right back on the same scene, continuing to speak to everyone around. It says in verse 2, So early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. It's on. Uh, okay, now it's working. Uh, continuing on, in verse 7, the Bible says, So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone first at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers, accusers of you? Has no one condemned you? <clears throat> she said, No, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. So that's kind of a strange interaction, a lot to unpack there. Um, you know, first of all, since in verse 12, it says that after the accusers dispersed, he spoke to them again, meaning he continued talking to all those that were around. He was there amongst the people speaking before they brought her in. And when they left and he was alone with the woman, it was that group of people that left, the, the accusers. This accusation and attempt to trap Jesus was, was very intentionally acted out right in front of this crowd. And I also found it interesting that after that, Jesus wouldn't say something to the rest of the crowd about what they just saw unfold. Um, he uses this metaphor of being the light. So, so why use a light metaphor you know, right after that? 
um, it kind of strikes you at first as being a little bit out of place or a little bit odd thing to say right after that event. And this was a, a, a scene of salvation with this woman. And she was guilty of sin, but Jesus, the light of the world, pointed out to her a better path by showing her a way of escape to a deserved death and told her to go and sin no more. And there's plenty of Old Testament scripture about the light. Isaiah 49 and 6 says, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And Malachi 4 and 2 says, But to you who fear my name, the Son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wing. You know, we Christians are the light of the world, but that's a reflected light. But let's look at the event a little bit closer, kind of going back up here to the, to the first. Um, this is a trap. It says plainly in verse 6, uh, this, they said testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But how's this trap supposed to work? Uh, what exactly is the trap here? At first pass, you might think, okay, wow, this is a serious sin. Jesus didn't tell them that they had the law wrong. He hasn't fulfilled the law by dying on the cross yet and, in fact, was living under the law. So should she have been stoned? And it might look like Jesus is being lenient here um, or maybe even condoning her sin by saying, neither do I cond condemn you. She just gets off scot-free. Well, that reason... Um, is why that, that this, act, this event has actually been a little bit in and out of some of the historical texts. Um, there's, it's missing in, in some very old text, and there's some confusion also today to exactly where it belongs. Um, so because some texts omit it, um, it, it's a little bit confusing. And, and I didn't attempt to study and understand that particular history. Uh, I read that it's, it's pretty widely accepted now, um, due to the mystery of where to place it, and possibly because somebody didn't want to have a record of Jesus letting some sin go uncorrected, that a select few of these old translations omitted it. Um, but it's also widely accepted that this did, in fact, occur and should be included. And if you ask me what I think, my answer is it's written in my Bible. <clears throat> but the plan of the trap. Okay, so what, what is this? Why is this even a trap? If Jesus were to agree with them that she should be stoned, then he's essentially ruling on an illegitimate trial, and he's prescribing the death penalty, which the Romans had outlawed. They took away the right of the Jews to execute people for religious reasons. They couldn't do that legally. They would have murdered Jesus if they could get away with it by this point, and definitely a little bit later. But instead, they did that through the Roman court system, this is, which is clearly a sham anyway, um, because Pilate found him innocent, but he caved and allowed a mob to demand the death of an innocent man. But you see the situation. They... they could not act on killing him themselves. It was not legal, just like it wasn't legal for them to kill this woman. They couldn't stone that woman any more legally than they could have killed Jesus, despite the fact that the law of Moses said that the adultery is a sin worthy of death. I also read that, that stoning people wasn't exactly very popular with the Jews anyway. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but regardless, if he had gone along with them, it was a trap. They expected that he would not, uh, in which case it looks like he's against the law of Moses. Also a trap. No way out of this, they thought. Whichever way he goes, we got him. They're either, he's either going to say, yes, let's stone her, and that's illegal, and it would, it would turn off a lot of people. Um, maybe he would go to jail. Maybe he would get put to death by the Romans. Who knows? Or he would have to say, we're just going to ignore the law of Moses and, and not stone her. And so, yeah, it seems pretty foolproof. They, they got him. But notice in verse 4, they made a point to say, that they caught her in the very act. And literally, what we read here is in the very act is, is a direct translation. That's, that's what they said. <clears throat> and this was being said, apparently, to make sure that her guilt wouldn't be questioned. She was doing this. She was caught in the act. 
It's not a question of whether or not she's guilty. It's a question of the punishment. What do we do here, Jesus? The law says this. What do you say? Okay, well, yeah, they know the law. Not as well as Jesus. Leviticus 20.10 says, The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. Deuteronomy 22 and 22. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die, the man that lie with the woman and the woman. So you shall put away the evil from Israel. All right, well, that begs the question. If they got caught in the act, where's this man? It's entirely possible that he's in the crowd with the others, and he was part of this plot. They were using this woman as this scheme. Might have even been a forced encounter, or at least coerced. What protection would she have had to, to refuse his advances could have got her killed? And if you think that's unlikely, that happens today in this world all the time. Modern legal system, a lot of protection for individuals, that happens. She was in a trap. She was a pawn. She was being used. Also, the law required two witnesses. Now, this sort of sin is not very often committed in the public eye. It's kept in the dark. It's pretty private. I can't imagine that the stoning punishment was carried out for this sin very often. But maybe they did catch her in the act, and maybe the guy got away. Maybe he ran away. But the law says to kill them both, and so they'd have to find him. They had no interest in finding him. They probably had no interest in whether or not the, the woman lived. They only wanted to get Jesus to trip up on something. <clears throat> um, so again, looking back here at verse 7, so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of you? Has no one condemned you? <clears throat> so we know why Jesus is here. He's here to seek the save, to seek and save the lost. Luke 12 and 13 uh, says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to them, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? That's simply not what he's here for. He's not here to condemn a person to death, to judge them, to deal with, with sentencing them. That's, that's not his purpose. His judgment is righteous and pure. But this time on earth was not meant for judgment. Now, I want to be clear about when I say judgment. I'm not referring to using your judgment to determine if something is right or, or sinning or, or whatever. Jesus was using perfect judgment all the time, and we're called to use our own judgment as well. Uh, here, when I say judgment, I'm referring to like giving uh, out, handing out a sentence, the terms of sentencing. To sentence her to death would be a judgment that they were wanting him to speak to. So Jesus says that whoever is without sin should cast the first stone. Okay, that's pointing out that none of them, or none of us for that matter, are any more deserving of a place in heaven than she was. But there's actually some religious regulations in the old law about how to go about carrying out such a sentence. So Deuteronomy 17 and 7 says, The hands of the witness shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people. So you shall put away the evil among you. All right, so the person that caught them, the witness, is supposed to throw the first stone, and then the others join in. Man, that's a sick thought. <laughs> that's such a morbid thing. Um, so who witnessed this thing? Was it the guy in the act? who was doing it to play his part in a trap? Well, he's supposed to be on the receiving end of the rocks. So then, who is it that caught him? That's the one that's supposed to throw the first stone, according to the law. If Jesus had said, okay, let the witness step up, and let's get this show started, would somebody have actually done it? Remember, the Romans made it illegal. Jesus would, in this case, be saying, okay, let's execute her, but let's do it right and in accordance with the law. I don't think they were prepared to do that. 
But really the cherry on top of that slice of cake is Jesus saying that the witness should be innocent. He knows this is a sham and it's a disgrace to the law that they're proclaiming to honor the law, but, but they're disregarding it. And they're trading that honor for hatred. And starting with the oldest and wisest among them, they realize that, yep, he turned the tables and he's right. We can't be doing this. So they walked off. Now, a lot of people have some conjecture about what he was writing with his finger in the ground. Was, was he spelling out their sins and they're seeing this and going, oh, well, I'm out. Um, was, he, was he drawing pictures? Was he, what was he doing? Doesn't tell us. It's irrelevant. We don't know. Um, so I'm not going to make any uh, assumptions there, and I think it's, it's kind of silly of all the assumptions that, that people make on. <clears throat> but now nobody's left there to accuse her. Jesus, for one, wasn't legally the one to accuse her. He wasn't a witness to it. He can't cast the first stone, and the accuser's left. So case dismissed. There's no sentence to be handed down to her. So Jesus just said, no one condemns her. Neither do I. She's free to go. But he tells her to go and sin no more. He does not condone, condone sin. He does not think it's okay. He does not think it should go unpunished. But we don't know whether or not she dies in her sin or comes to believe and repent. She has that right, had that right, just like we do. We're not told of her fate. It's not for us to know. It's just for us to know that we are to go and sin no more, just like her. And that's what following the light of the world is all about. Now, in verse 13, it says, The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Now, Jesus proclaims himself to be the light of the world and has been more direct about being sent from heaven by God the Father, but they're just not buying it. So the accusers have left, but others are still there questioning and unbelieving. And recall, there's some uncertainty on where the event with this adulteress fits in, so can't be sure that this next exchange happened immediately after, uh, but whether they are responding to Jesus claiming he's the light of the world, which he said at, at the end of that event, or if they're just continuing to deny and question everything that he says is irrelevant. That, that doesn't matter because his responses are, are very clear in either context. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Now here we see the two-witness rule that I invoked uh, with that stoning trial. And for one thing, Jesus knows they're not going to believe him anyway. But that doesn't make it any less true. He's saying he's sent from God, and that makes him one witness. And he's saying that God also bears witness. Now, <laughs> I can imagine a scene where somebody says, Okay, who's the witness that can validate this claim? And the answer is God. And then they say, Okay, who's the second witness? <laughs> that's hilarious. God's voice didn't come down from heaven at that moment and say, yep, it's true, that's my boy, and he's there doing my bidding. But God has already borne witness. Everything in the Old Testament that points to and foreshadows Jesus' coming are words that they already knew. That's God's witness to Jesus and why he's there and who he is. And maybe these guys weren't around when, when God told Peter, this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased, hear him, when he was suggesting they build the tabernacles. Maybe they weren't around to see Jesus get baptized by John the Baptist hear the voice from heaven, say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But it's plain for us to see anyway that, that God bears witness to Jesus's ministry and his deity. They simply aren't going to understand this because they're worldly and he is heavenly. They judge according to the flesh, but Jesus says, I judge no one. He doesn't need to come down from heaven to pass judgment on each person. Again, that's not why he's here. The world is already condemned. They just didn't know it. They thought they were righteous. They had no idea that they were going to die in their sins if it didn't change. Verse 19, then they said to him, where is your father? 
Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet. Now some of them struggled with him referring to God as his father, because they know who Joseph is, the husband to his earthly mother, mother the man who, see there's that speech impediment. <laughs> need to wave my arms a little. Joseph was, was the husband to Jesus' earthly mother, and the man who raised him, the man who was his dad. They, they know this. And they might have been hung up on it since so much emphasis was put on their lineage. They, they're very concerned with who their father was and their father's father and where they come from. It was extremely important to them. Um, maybe they doubted Joseph was a father and they think that he was illegitimately conceived. Or maybe they really just were confused and didn't understand what he meant when he said his father. But that's a stretch. Because they were talking about him coming from above and not being worldly and doing his father's bidding. It was just them continuing to be argumentative. They, they just weren't going to get it. Now, it may be that they knew perfectly well that he was talking about God. And when he says to them that they don't know God, that would infuriate them. They are the ones among all the people there that should know God better than anybody. And so he says, God is my father. And they say, where is your father? And he says, you don't know my father. If they are deeply religious and outwardly showing that, that might tick them off a little to say, you don't know God. Absolutely infuriate them. But they didn't lay hands on him. That time would come. I think that's maybe why it says no one laid hands on him because that exchange kind of seems a little bit benign from our point of view. Like, oh, they don't understand, but I think they did very clearly. And them's fighting work. On in verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I say to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, I've not studied the details, but apparently the old law teaches that suicide is an exceptionally terrible sin. And there's a special place in Hades for those people. To wonder if that's the reason that he's going where they can't go is basically saying that they're too righteous to go anywhere he'd be going, which is a sad joke. They have no idea how bad of the position they're really in. He knows that they're not going to come to believe. They will die without recognizing him as the Savior. Now, this wasn't the case for all, but in this exchange, Jesus knew this person or, or these people, whoever he's talking to here, they're going to go to hell due to their stubbornness and their unwillingness to accept the truth. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that, that he spoke to them of the Father. Did they mean that? Are they starting to realize he's something special when they said, who are you? Or is it just circular logic? They're just coming back around to the start again, and it's just an argument you can't win. I don't know, but it's not a game that Jesus is going to play. He just reiterates that he's not going to give them a different answer. It's the same. I've already told you. And still, it's beyond them. They can't wrap their heads around it. Verse 28, And Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please Him. As He spoke these words, many believed <clears throat> He knows it. He knows they can't and won't understand, but they will. When they lift Him up, they're not going to be lifting him up as a king. They're not talking about him being exalted. He's talking about having his body nailed to a cross, gets dropped into a post hole, and he's hanging there, dying a slow and excruciating death. That's how they're going to lift him up. And once that's done, then they're going to realize what they did. 
Then it says, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Many in the crowd, for sure, believed. There was a crowd there. But it's not specific. Some of the Pharisees were still around there. Some might have believed. Um, we know that, that some of them, like Nicodemus, were struggling. They made it apparent that, that they believed, in, but in their position, they really couldn't go along with Maybe truly didn't understand it, but they were, they were kind of stuck. And we don't know if Nicodemus was saved, but he helped provide a proper burial for Jesus and had met with him secretly at night to debate the issue of, of being born again. And so even for those who, who really couldn't come out and, and profess Jesus as Savior, whether it was fear or lack of courage or, or whatever, Jesus was still influencing them. Many believed in him. That woman and her accusers, are, they're an important event in this segment, but it's all about Jesus being the light. It's about the light that shows us the way to redemption. To stay in the dark is to stay in our sin. To stay in our sin is to die in our sin. The sins have been committed. They've got to be accounted for. God's justice is perfect. It's pure. It's righteous. The sins have to be dealt with. And we can either come to Jesus and deal with them now, or all we have to do is, is pile them on him. He can bear it. Or we can deal with it later, after we die in our sin, in hell. It's just righteous judgment. So as we close, I extend the invitation to come to Jesus, to obey the command to let him bear those sins. Let him deal with them so that we don't have to. Come to the light. Repent, believe, be baptized. We're here to help you with that. Or if you have any need, we can pray for or, or do anything for you. Come to the front row as we...